0: Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because we're actually talking about a new release, a new movie that came out in 2020, I can't believe it, and one that we were able to see because it was available on VOD, uh, as well as theatrically. It's Bill and Ted Face the Music. I am joined for this conversation by Adam Risky. (laughs) Station! And... The uh, managing editor of DailyDead.com, the author of Monster Squad, the star of In Search of Darkness, the definitive 80s horror documentary, (laughs) the co-host of the Craven Craven (laughs) podcast, and now producer of the festival, Heather Wixen. Hey, Heather.
1: (laughs) Hey, by the way, Risky, I was totally going to say Station. And, oh uh, really? Now I, now I can't say it. So. All right, okay. let me let me redo your time, intro, man. Adam.
0: Uh, I'm joined by the cock blocker, Adam Risky.
2: <laughs> all right, no. you just doubled down because, like, at first I was just like, "Why did Heather get such a long intro?" <laughs> and then now I just I got cock blocker. So, all right, um, you if you want to add some spice to my intro, Patrick, yeah, yeah, yeah. you could say like the. 10 times certified Veritas software manager. Ooh. Hey, now.
1: How do I compete?
2: Um, I have a few semantic certifications. You know, they were the antivirus company. So. I I thought
1: you were talking about actual semantics, and I was like, I don't know what that even means.
2: (laughs) Um, You could say uh, went from 24 to 26 on his ACT. Nice. Nice. And you know how I did that grit
0: <laughs> I need to get all this stuff in writing so I can do yeah. uh Heather needs to add a couple more credits before the next time we record together because the joke has been that every time her intro gets longer, I can't keep delivering the same intro, so you have to keep adding stuff, Heather
1: I'm sorry, I'm working on it okay, I'm good. Working on it yeah. So you know, maybe by the next time we do horror BFFs or Craven Craven, I'll have at least a new one for you.
0: I sure hope so.
1: Thirty-one panel
0: moderator. Yes. (laughs) Never forget the thirty-one. Never forget. (laughs) Oh, good. Um, So we are going to be talking about Bill and Ted face the music. We'll try to talk spoiler-free for a couple of minutes at least and give our initial impressions. And then we'll get into spoilers and talk more specifics. But first, we're going to start the show the way we always start the show. If you're a first-time listener, this is what we do at the beginning of the show. Uh, Adam Risky, have you seen anything good lately?
2: Yeah. um, So I think it's because it's like back-to-school season, but I decided to give myself movie homework, and I'm just like, I'm going to get the Roger Ebert great movies books, and I'm going to... Go through one a week, and it'll take me seven years. And wouldn't that be fun? So, I was gonna start that this week, but instead, I watched D. Snyder's *Strange Land*. <laughs> that it, wasn't did, in
1: Roger Ebert's book.
0: <laughs> did it get no, you over your Kevin Gage fear? He's so normal, and I know that's why I ask because he's somehow giving a performance as a regular person.
2: Yeah, and, like, Amy Smart's in it, teaching him how to work, like, chats. It's good stuff. I was surprised because this movie was something that I was intimidated by largely because of the poster with, like, the woman's mouth stitched up. And then I watched it, and it's, like, goofy as hell. It's so silly. Yeah,
0: it's one of these, uh, again, kind of 90s horrors that is... Gaining a cult audience because enough years have passed by and eventually everything becomes good, would you say it's better or worse than brain scan
2: Ty oh wow, yeah, I like that Kevin Gage plays detective gage
0: <laughs> captain howdy you're saying is a is a is an adequate replacement for the trickster or just trickster I'm sorry not the trickster.
2: All right, well, now we're talking about a different thing here. Okay. The Trickster is not popped. by Ke- Like, the Trickster trumps Captain Audi for sure. But I think the movies they're in are about equal. All right, that makes sense. Because I think Gage is better than Furlong, so that's where it evens out. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think I might not... Like, Kevin Gage screwed up. Like, now he's probably not number one scariest. <laughs> think. So now he's probably, like... Two or three, and Richard Brake stole number one.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Although he's going to be in the new Tremors movie, and that might help he is. distill well, some of his uh, scariness.
2: Yeah, I don't. I don't know what my my scary actors are doing right now. <laughs> They're lulling me into complacency. Who are the other ones? If you could just name them. Uh, so Cole Hauser was yeah. he in there? Yeah. Um, Richard Brake. Uh, Kevin Gage Who else? Who else? Jared Rushton. Um, Jared Rushton and James Debe- James Who's DeBello. A- oh yeah, Jimmy DeBello. Yeah, James DeBello. <laughs>
1: that's quite the assortment.
2: Yeah, yeah, I know, but they're all up to no good. Like, I just, I can imagine all of them. Like, like one of them pushes me down, and then I try to get up, and they're like, "Where are you going?" And then they just keep pushing me down. Like, that's. The level of evil I can't handle. All right. (laughs) Oh, so I should probably talk about more movies I've watched. You could, yeah. You don't have to. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I watched um Howard on Disney Plus, which is the documentary by or I don't know who it's by, but it's like about um Howard Ashman, who was the lyricist um that worked with Alan Menken on. A uh, Little Shop of Horrors and The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin, and he sadly passed away at a, at a very young age in his late 30s of uh, HIV and AIDS. Um, and he, it's it's like a not the best biography documentary, but it's got enough in it that's makes it worth watching. There's this whole bit where. Uh, Howard Ashman goes to Disney and it's like in the 80s where Disney's like really fledgling as an animation studio and he's explaining to them like how songs are supposed to like forward the story and character arcs and one of the animators like we never knew that. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought it was just so funny and then um, it just reminded me a lot of like unfortunately, you know, obviously this weekend we lost Chadwick Boseman but like Howard Ashman had a similar thing where he knew that he was sick and dying, but still put out some incredible work in those last few years and, um, really furthered his, you know, his legacy on screen and everything. And, um, it was just a really, it it made me appreciate his, his, you know, perseverance all the, all the more. So it was, it was a really uh, nice movie. All right. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. And I watched Class Action Park, which I think you watched. Heather, did you watch Class Action Park?
1: No, I'm not one of the cool kids with the HBO uh, Max yet, so... Um,
2: it's yeah, a, there's it was, a,
0: it, If it helps, Heather, there's a screener for Fantasia.
1: Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, I heard it was playing Fantasia, too. So yeah. when everybody was talking about it, I didn't know if it was, like, half people who were, like, covering the festival or if it was people who were discovering an HBO, maybe both, um, so... Yeah, is it good? Is it worth
2: it? It's it it was a weird experience for me because it was so fun and funny and then it isn't fun and funny and <laughs> it's incredibly sad. And by the end of it I didn't know how to feel except bad. And um I'll I'll ask you like after the show's over, but I think like there's a moment at the end where they're showing something and then somebody's doing a voiceover and I was wondering if like the dichotomy of it was intentional because I think it was making, it could be making points, but I'm not sure if it's making a point. So I wanted to ask you about that, Patrick, but um, I thought it was, yeah, I mean, it's definitely worth watching, but it's uh it's a real whiplash experience. At least it was for me. I loved I it.
1: Going to the park was a whiplash experience <laughs> for a lot of folks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I loved it. Although it makes me reluctant to ever revisit action point the Johnny Knoxville movie that was sort of based on action park because in that movie, it makes the owners and operators of action Point sort of the misfit heroes, like in an eighties comedy and yeah. they weren't, they were terrible people. So uh, it really gives me pause about ever going back to revisit that movie, which I kind of liked.
2: Yeah. The teenagers and cla uh, and Action Park were, I mean, they were like the Friday the 13th teenagers, pretty much. Yeah, right. And Johnny Knoxville was, yeah.
0: you know, this one man bucking the system. And it's like, yeah, that's who that guy was, but he was a monster.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I watched um, another documentary, which I know Heather wrote a review for, um, and it was just as good as she was saying in that review is that you cannot kill David Arquette. You're stealing my thunder. I really enjoyed it. It was really fun. It was one of those movies where like, you're just proud of the person. (laughs) And I really enjoyed it. I was really happy for him that it takes a lot of guts to go back to, you know, a situation where you created a big mess and then just sort of eat your humble pie and like try to be respectful and like, honor the spirit of it and i it's not something that a lot of people would do and i i really you know credit him for doing that it's a it's a fun movie too
1: yeah i was so like it, it's interesting because like I, obviously i'm you know i'm nerdy about several things in my life like wrestling screen movies uh in particular so this was like completely 100 my wheelhouse um but i i love that you mentioned that you feel proud for him because like i think the thing that people always forget like I never realized like how much people hated him for the WCW stuff because I was excited about it when it happened. Cause I was like, wait, there's a scream actor and he's in WCW. Like I was only watching WWF at the time. Um, and so like, cause I used to go watch wrestling at my cousin's house. So I would like, we would, I would go over to his house. and We would flip back and forth once the dark cat stuff was happening. And I mean, I thought he was just getting heat because he was being a heel and being Mr. Hollywood and all that kind of stuff. Um, And so it made me really sad that, like, people were so bad to him, Um, especially in the industry because he, he, you know, grew up a fan, grew up loving this stuff, and he just wanted to come in and be a part of it. And it wasn't his fault the way he got booked. Like, that was stupid Vince Russo's idea. And honestly, like, you're in the middle of trying to promote Ready to Rumble. How are you going to get people to talk about your movie? Well, you're going to do something like that. And they do it all the time now. Like, we had a freaking match, a hair versus hair match, where, like, Our stupid president was like wrestling around on the ground with Vince McMahon, like, you know, and but yet somehow David Arquette doing this like broke some sacred thing. And I get it like I get the purists. Mm -hmm. But like for me, I was just it was like for him to be like 44 or 46 when he started this with with two stints in his heart. And he's like, I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna do this. Like, I I was so excited for him. And the first time he did the, the hurricaner, which was when he was down in Mexico. When he finally got up and was able to flip the dude like both Brian and I, because we watched it, a screener at home, like we paused it and we were clapping. We were so excited <laughs> for him because, first of all, that's not like a starter move. That's not like that's that's a hard thing. That's like a, a, a thing that you see, like more advanced wrestlers do now. Um, and we actually like I actually cried twice during it. I cried when he got the mask in Mexico um, because just the emotion on his face, like he finally felt a tinge of respect and you could see how much it meant to him. And then I cried at the end with all the Luke Perry stuff because I just, you know, that's that's still one that hits me pretty hard. And I'm sure for him, like outliving Luke Perry with him being the way he's sort of been like and losing his best friend, which I love that they were still friends after Buffy, um, you know, is kind of bananas. But it was really crazy because like that night when he, you know, basically almost dies uh, in the ring, like we were there. Uh, we were actually at that event here in Los Angeles, and it was also the same night. There's another wrestler who wrestles for AEW now, called named Marco Stunt, uh, who teams up with Luke Perry's son. Uh, he broke his leg, like in the match right before the Arquette match. Yikes! So that that whole night was really messed up. Like that poor kid, like took a spot and he broke his leg, and you can see him getting carried out at one point. And it was just like this weird. Aura over this whole night, and it's like Nick Gage is like this wrestler who he's very hard style wrestling, and like I just wish he would have pulled back a little bit because Arquette was filling in. Uh, he wasn't even really supposed to be there that night, but the wrestler that Nick Gage was supposed to wrestle had hurt his arm. Um, he tore his his rotator cuff, so Arquette was like coming in to kind of do them a solid and like drum up a little publicity, and then basically leaves there with like a freaking hole in his neck and he's like literally spouting blood like it was worse than something you've seen like a horror movie yeah,
2: like, that, scene was was yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that scene was real rough Yeah, that scene. and then the um the backyard wrestling scene also was kind of bothered me a lot like because i'm i i'm not as well versed in wrestling as you were patrick and um It's cleaner, at least when I've seen it on TV. So, like, when you see kind of the more underground... I don't know if its that's what you would call it, but, like, if it's the more, like, kind of underground and bloody version of it, it feels like... how To me, it was just like, oh, God, how could you do that to another human being? But, like, (laughs) that's wrestling, I
1: guess. (laughs) Yeah, I've been to, like, a lot of, like, CZW shows and stuff like that where they... I mean, it gets pretty brutal. Like, I watched a guy... Like, literally two feet in front of me, uh, WrestleMania weekend. We were in Dallas and we were at a CCW show, and they literally took like 50 of those like skewers that you use on the grill for like to to put meat and stuff on and they pounded them like right in this dude's face. And he has like this big porcupine like uh, mohawk coming out of his forehead afterwards. Oh my God. And it was Was literally like two feet from my face. And I was like, was it Captain (laughs) Howdy? It was not. So, but yeah, I'm really glad you loved it. Cause I, I just, it, it, I think it's a movie that like, even if you don't love wrestling and even if you're like, Oh, David, Arcan, like, I think there's just something really universal about, you know, wanting to sort of reclaim your legacy, you know, and, and never feeling like it's too late to do it, you know? Yeah. And I was just so happy for him that he got that. And also how, how great is like his divorce of Courtney Cox? Like they still talk about each other. When I interviewed him, he was so excited. She was coming back for scream five. And I was mm. like, I, I don't want to be anywhere near my ex. Like, And he's like, yeah, Courtney's coming back too. And I was like, wow, all right. Like, I, guess, I just
2: uh, Every time they release a new Scream movie, my heart sinks because I'm just like, our cat and Cox and Campbell have survived four times. And I'm like, you better not do anything to any of them.
1: Our, our precious tr- uh, Trinity of the screen
2: yeah. movies. So. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like, they made it. Oh, no, another chance.
0: <laughs> there were moments in You Cannot Kill David Arquette where they cut from David Arquette's current wife to Courtney Cox. There's one specific moment. Or or vice yeah. versa, they cut from Courtney Cox <laughs> to his current down. wife. And you, I literally did a double take, because, wait, who am I looking at? She looks so much like Courtney Cox. It's yeah. wild. She's yeah. very pretty. I do
1: love, like, how how his wife like sort of started off like going like you're crazy don't do this and at the end like because he was such a big he's such a big macho man and elizabeth fan like that she dressed up like elizabeth oh that was so cute for his match yeah, i was know. like oh okay get get yourself a girl who will dress like miss elizabeth and escort you to the ring i guess that was is the moral of the story
0: that was very cute so i really liked the movie and it made me really like david arquette even though i already liked david arquette it made me like him more I'll say something that's a little controversial that I'm sure you guys might push back on. To me, at times, the documentary felt like a season of a reality show compressed into 90 minutes.
1: No, totally. I could have watched like I could have watched six hours of this. Yeah. So, like him being in Mexico, I could have watched at least two hours just on that because I thought that was really fascinating. And also more Diamond Dallas Pages.
0: That's, that well, right. All of that felt like episodes, right? Here's the episode where he goes to see DDP. Here's the episode where he goes to Mexico. That street wrestling is insane, by the way.
1: Right. Like, oh, I wish I would have fantastic. known about that. Like, I've never <laughs> been to Tijuana. Like, I've only ever gone to, like, Cancun or Playa del Carmen. But, like, if I would have known that there was street lucha in, in Tijuana, I would have made the trip. Like, because that's If you, if that's you want so to hear about...
2: If you want to hear about my afternoon in Tijuana in 1996, I'll I'll let you know if you subscribe to the Patreon. Oh, f this Ooh. movie after dark. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't um, go with your family. All right. <laughs> Not fun. Uh, um, Not fun.
0: <laughs> how is it that wrestling fans can claim that David Arquette winning the championship is the worst moment in professional wrestling when? Owen Hart literally fell from the ceiling and died in the ring
1: exactly exactly yeah I I don't know understand why I I, I really don't because like if you're like the, they show that the vintage clip with with Diamonddale's page where he was like you're a fan of wrestling you come in and you're gonna work some shows and then they turn they turn to you and say we're gonna give you the keys to the kingdom and are you gonna turn that down right like who would do that like you know, they just didn't know like that it was going to be like the backlash that it got. Like, they knew it was going to be heat, that there was going to be heat, but the backlash was just like, but yeah, I agree with you with the Owen Hart stuff. I mean, if you watch Dark Side of the Ring, like, there's a whole lot of things that are hella a lot worse about professional wrestling than David Arquette winning a championship belt.
0: That just showed up on Hulu, so I can finally watch it.
1: Yes, yeah, so good. Oh yeah. my God, really, really really good stuff. The, the Chris Benoit episodes are like,
0: I don't know if I can handle it. I,
1: but it was really, it was done in a really tasteful way. Um, and it's really, because I have a lot of really conflicting feelings about, because obviously he did some terrible things, but also he was part of a system that really failed his mental health and failed, you know, failed him, you know? And when he tried to get some help, they wouldn't give it to him. And then this horrible thing happened. So, um, but Chris Jericho is actually in that episode talking about it because him and Benoit were best friends. Um, it's good stuff. Like there's some episodes that are really crazy, um, but they're but they're they're always handled very respectfully, which I think is a credit to Jason Eisner.
0: I didn't know that uh, Louis Arquette was the voice of Jimmy Snuka on Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling.
1: I didn't either. How cool is that? Because I used to watch that show.
0: Me too. Speaking of Dark Side of the Ring
2: um adam any other movies that you watched uh, only one other one i'll mention um i watched so i, I i'm i trying to see all of my unseen johnny t movies so i watched um travolta's movie shout from 1991 ah yes and it's weird because like part of me it's it's a really cornball like it's like the movie holes where there, it's like a bunch of delinquents at like this prison camp, but then like John Travolta comes in and teaches them rock and roll and sets them free and turns the good, the bad boys good. Um, and the lead one is Jamie Walters from the Heights. The Heights. How do you talk and, to an angel? Oh yeah. And God. the lead girl is Heather Graham, very young, way before Boogie Nights. Um, and, and, but, and then like, they set up at the beginning of the movie where it's just like the woman who like Travolta meets at a bar is like Linda Fiorentino. And I'm like, no, give me the Linda Fiorentino, John Travolta. Movie. Definitely. Like, dirty dancing movie. Yeah. Like I want to watch that. But then um, it was so just jarring. Cause this is like a universal movie. And today it would be like, this movie would be like fathom events shout <laughs> and like universal makes it look like such a prestigious production. <laughs> because it's like early nineties, like studio. It's so, I don't know. I mean, like I, it's very watchable. It's not a good movie. It's one of those movies where like, he's the music teacher and the kid like can't play the piano without the sheet music. So then like to teach him to get comfortable, like just going without the sheet music, he's like, here, go outside with me. And they go outside and he's like, I want you to, to like move towards me, but you can't walk. And then the kid's like, well, what do I do? And, and then Travolta's like, well, you could cluck like a chicken. And then he starts going like, bark, bark, bark. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. So it's got the full Travolta experience where like half of the time I'm just like, he's one of the best movie stars ever. And half the time I'm like, oh, no, no. Uh,
0: yeah, no, shout I've never seen. I know that was the big attempt to turn Jamie Walters into a movie star and it didn't work out.
1: No. I mean, we didn't. We couldn't even get him to be a, a TV star, really, or either. a
0: music star, for that matter. He had
1: no. He was zero for three. <laughs> yeah. Yep.
0: 90s. Although he did. He had the right. sideburns. He did. We failed him. <laughs> and he was on yeah. nine hundred two and for a while, right? Isn't that what led to the heights?
1: It is. Yeah. Yeah, but spinoff.
2: Yeah. Didn't people not like him because he pushed Donna down the stairs or something?
1: Yeah, that was that was their problem. Is that they made him into like a jerk, and then like, well, why do you want to go watch a show about a jerk?
0: They were also yeah. pissed because he, at one point, won the WCW title.
1: Yes, that's what <laughs> that's what you get.
0: And uh, then he
2: got killed by Captain Howdy. <laughs> that
0: was a weird end to the heights.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, and then... <laughs> Captain Howdy became the new lead of The Heights and then it didn't make it to no. the, cast the pilot no. second
0: season. That's a bummer. I know yeah. D. Snyder has talked for years about like how he has a sequel to Strangeland written.
2: I'd watch it. Yeah, I would too. Although it probably would be like Tales from the Hood 2 production value uh, at this point. It for sure would be. <laughs> Did you know Tales a, from the Hood
0: coming out. I was just about to say, it's on yeah. its way so we're going to have to re- do a show on that
2: one too. Yeah, well, you're not you're not getting me out of the show that we already have planned. So we're gonna have to do two shows if Tales from the Hood three comes out. Oh yeah, I'm fine with that. I don't want to be. I just I don't want to be just Tales from the Hood guy in <laughs> uh, October. <laughs> uh,
0: twenty four to twenty six on his ACT and Tales from the Hood guy Adam Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> We're bo- you're going to have to go to Walmart to try to track it down and I'm going to have to go watch it twice <laughs> in the first oh no I should re-listen to that show too.
0: Um, Heather I know you're like knee deep in Fantasia Fest screeners do you want to throw out a couple recommendations for everybody
1: yeah actually I've been watching uh, uh, last week I actually covered a bunch of stuff that wasn't Fantasia too So oh, nice. yeah uh, Fantasia stuff uh, I really loved The Dark and the Wicked which is from Brian Bertino, uh, director of the strangers. Uh, it's, it is phenomenal. I don't really want to give too much away because it is so freaking good. Um, but it comes out November 6th and I highly recommend watching it. It's probably right up there in terms of one of my favorite horror movies of the year, uh, alongside relic and invisible man. Uh, it's really, really good. Like I love the strangers. I think the dark and the wicked is like his masterpiece.
0: Oh, wow. Very nice. Like,
1: it's freaking awesome. Um so keep your eyes up for that one. Um I also I watched a documentary called clapboard Jungle. Yes. Um which was really interesting. Um I really liked that too because at first I was like it was like the director sitting in front of a camera talking to it and I was like oh god. <laughs> I was like, was this what this is going to be like? Um, and then it really sort of opens up a lot. Um, it had so many people that I admire in it talking about sort of the in, sort of the state of independent cinema and independent horror in particular. Um, I think anybody out there who is look, you know, even if you're not looking to watch, you know, make movies, but I think it's exceptionally good for somebody who's just starting off in the industry and they don't really know what their next steps are. Uh, there's a lot of really good information on there, but it's presented in a very entertaining way. Um, so I really, really enjoyed that. Um, I really dug the Curse of Audrey Earnshaw. Uh, I thought that one was pretty solid. Um, it's got good, good witchy vibes. So that was fun. Uh, I'm always, I'm always about strong women messing up the, uh, messing like sort of messing with the religious expectations and crap like that. So that was pretty good. Um, I'm trying to think of what else that I've seen that I loved. I just watched Come True yesterday. Um, which I liked most of it until the ending. I feel like the ending sort of undoes a lot of the movie. Um, but it's it's pretty good. It's really, it's sort of very synthy, sort of cool, Cronenbergian type horror. Um, some of the coolest sort of nightmare sequences, I think, since The Cell, um, just in a very different way. Um, but yeah, so I really liked that. And then I think outside of Fantasia, Um, I watched, uh, Centigrade, which just came out on VOD this weekend, uh, which was really good survival horror. I don't know if you guys have seen that one yet. Um, it kind of came out under the radar, but it's basically sort of based on like real stories, but it's like a couple who they're in, I want to say Norway, but that's probably wrong. Um, but they're overseas and they're on a book tour for, for the wife and they're in the middle of like a snowstorm. So they pull over to the side of the road. Uh, to kind of wait the storm out and they wake up the next morning and their car is completely buried uh, in the snow. And so basically it's them trying to survive in their car uh, against the odds. And she's like eight and a half months pregnant. So there's a lot of tension. um, And they actually love the movie. Like at first I was like, okay, we hit like day three. Now we hit day five. And I was like, okay, I'm getting a little nervous here. And it, it literally goes up to like, I think it's day 24. And I was like, oh my God. Like, there was there was parts of the movie where I was like, holy crap, like I don't know that I would have lasted a week. Um, but it's really, really good stuff. Uh really good contained horror. Um, I liked it a lot. Uh so I do recommend it. That might have been like IFC Midnight that put that out. Probably. Um Yeah, so it's worth a rent. Uh I also watched Rogue. Which
0: Yes, which is I think I have rented, but I haven't watched it yet.
1: Yeah, you know, it's um, for M.J. Bassett, who also, you know, did did the Silent Hills sequel. So, you know, um, but I really, <laughs> I, I mean, I, as soon as I heard it was Megan Fox being like a mercenary, I was like, okay, give it to me, because why not? Um, and she's actually really freaking good in it. I love her in it. Um, the movie definitely had a s- certain budget that it had to work with. So I will say that the CGI, like, lines in the movie aren't the greatest. But honestly, the rest of the movie works so well, I did not care. So it was one of those, like, I was getting ready to watch it, and Brian was like, oh, what are you watching? I was like, oh, this action movie, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, all right, I'll check it out. And it was, like, 20 minutes in, he's like, I'm really loving this. Are you loving this? I was like, I think I am. Um, So, you know, and it's shot in South Africa, you know, just crazy stunts. Ah, uh, really good story. Good performances all around. Um, and it'll have you humming backstreet boys while you're done. Oh, sweet. when you're done. So yeah, um, but it's good stuff. I was really surprised uh, and very much enjoyed it. and MJ um, who is actually came out as transgender a few years ago, um, you know she's she's really an interesting character because shes we talked about like when I interviewed her, like how her background um, before she got into filmmaking was working with like wildlife rescues. Um, in the UK and things like that, where she would like rescue falcons and fly them, you know, to different places, to different sanctuaries and things like that. So this was her way of kind of doing an action movie, but also doing something that was saying something about sort of, you know, the horrors that happen in Africa in terms of like animal, how animals are treated there and profited wow. off, you know, how people profit off of, you know, their mistreatment and things like that. Um, but yeah, I was really like, and not that I didn't think Megan Fox had it in her, um, but she's really, really good. Like I believed that she was this character, um, and it's obvious that she did a lot of training for it, um, and she's really, really good. So I, I, I dug that one as well. Nice. So hmm. yeah, it's been a lot of movies lately. Yeah, it's, it's been a bit of pretty good run.
0: It's nice. I have a, a screener for The Dark and the Wicked, and I haven't watched it yet. But fear not, I Do have. It. I did watch Shakespeare's Shitstorm. So,
1: of course,
0: <laughs> I did see the <laughs> I new.
1: Did, I didn't even ask for it. I'm trauma. Really I knew
0: you wouldn't. <laughs> it's fine, I don't I expect just... you to. Um, it's and a, how did it go? It's a trauma movie, you know. It's there's a literal shitstorm in the first like 15 minutes.
1: Fantastic,
0: <laughs> it's not just a clever title, uh, but I am going to watch The Dark and the Wicked. I'm very excited for it. Um, after we watched clapboard jungle which i also really liked and i think is like really important for young independent filmmakers to see because it's so much about how you can't just be a director anymore you know you can't just yeah. be one thing you have to do so much in terms of pulling financing together and pitching your film and creating lookbooks and creating demo reels and um but after we watched that, I was like, "Well, I want to see one of Justin McConnell's movies." So we, I think we ended up buying it because it was like three ninety nine to rent or four ninety nine to buy on Amazon. His most recent movie, Life Changer, which how was it? He makes during the production of Clapboard Jungle. I dug it. I mean, it's very modest and very Canadian. Um, it would make a great double bill with something like The Hidden. It's just about this alien life form that has to keep taking other people's bodies basically in order to stay alive. So he just keeps kind of jumping from person to person, but he kills the person when he takes their form. Uh, So he's kind of a serial killer as well. And he falls in love with this woman and keeps taking different bodies as a way of trying to get closer to her. Um, I thought it was really well directed. I mean, it's probably a little thin in terms of the story, But, you know, you watch it and you're just totally rooting for it because you saw how much he put into making it and you, you know, really feel for the guy and you come to like him in the course of watching Clapboard Jungle. So you're like, I want this to be good. I want Justin McConnell to succeed. And for me, the movie more or less does. Um, I watched... We already talked about some of the other stuff I watched. I watched Arkansas, which just came out this year. Um... it's it's a movie co-written and directed by Clark Duke and I just can't figure out this is nothing against Clark Duke like the movie is fine it's a relic from like 1997 I just I can't believe we're still making movies about like low rent criminals you know kind of fucking up um it's just it's been done so many times Um, and at a time when there's just such a call for more female filmmakers, more filmmakers of color, more diversity behind the camera, I just can't figure out like, why is Clark Duke getting to direct a movie? And again, nothing against Clark Duke. He does a fine job. He's fine. He's fine as a person. But I just, I'm like, I can't believe I'm watching the directorial debut of Clark Duke, before somebody like Izzy Lee has made a feature.
1: Yeah, I did not see Arkansas. I was playing our drive-in for a few weeks out here, and I was like, eh, I want to go to the movies, but I don't don't think I want to go to the movies that bad.
0: No, Liam Hemsworth is, like, such Diet Coke, Chris Hemsworth, and (laughs) Clark Duke is playing a character named Swin, which just bothers me, and it's almost two hours long. Um, again, I wanted to be nicer to it because I've been watching so many low budget independent films lately and rooting for all of them because I'm like, oh, making movies is so hard. I want to pull for you, Arkansas. And Arkansas is fine. Um, slightly better than fine. I watched the last one I'll talk about is on shutter. It's called the shed. Did you see that Heather?
1: I did. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. It was sort of a surprise uh, for me. Uh, that one and The Wretched this year were kind of like the two where I was like, oh, kind of came out of nowhere. I will admit I totally expected them to kind of be bunk. And yeah. they were actually both pretty good.
0: Yeah, they were. The Wretched, like I saw in, a couple weeks ago, and have almost forgotten already, um, which may be the fate of The Shed as well. It just started streaming on Shudder. It's about these two kids who are bullied, and one of them finds a vampire in his shed, basically, and so it becomes like, well, what do you do now? You have this power um, to, you know, feed your bullies to a hungry vampire, and what do you do with that power? Uh, yeah, I dug it overall. You know, again, it's low budget, but the effects are pretty good. The performances are good. Frank Whaley plays the vampire in the shed, which is always welcome. Um, I dug it overall. Well, I think Whaley. yeah, right. Uh, I think it's <laughs> worth watching.
1: Yeah, I remember I interviewed Peter Block for it because he produced it, yeah. uh, who used to run Fear Net uh, and used to be at Lionsgate before that. Um, yeah, and I, it was one of those where I was like, again, I was like, okay, we've you know, we've seen this movie. Yeah. Um, but it actually, you know, does a lot a lot of things that I wasn't expecting. And it's funny because I feel like that and the Wretched <laughs> both were very inspired by Fright Night in a lot of ways. I could see that. Um, so I actually think in some ways it would kind of be sort of, a really good double feature even though one is vampires and one is not yeah. um but yeah you know I, I think in terms of if you're if you've sort of run the gamut of everything else that's come out this year i don't want to make it sound like well, if you've watched everything else i guess you can watch these movies. But, <laughs> you know if you're if you're willing to sort of you know give a few underdog movies a shot i think you could do far worse than either one of those
0: yeah it's a good year for indie horror when even the sort of middle tier movies are this strong you know
1: yeah, it's 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 kind of surprising, um, but but welcome, especially yeah. you know when we're in so need of uh, entertainment.
0: Um, all right, so let's get into our review of Bill and Ted Face the Music, uh, released just last week, directed by Dean Parasot, I believe is how you say his name, uh, yes. director of Galaxy Quest, and written by Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon, who have written all of the Bill and Ted movies. Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves return to play the titular roles. And uh, we'll talk about it spoiler-free for a few minutes, and then we'll get into talking more specifics. Heather, because you reviewed it and you've been pretty vocal about it on social media, I will let you go first in terms of how you feel about Bill and Ted Face the Music.
1: And I kind of t- apparently took over Facebook, which I didn't realize. Oh, that's
0: right, yeah. With your top that was the weirdest pull thing. quotes. <laughs>
1: well, it was funny because, like, you when you do this, like a lot of times people ask you for quotes and then you don't really see them ever get used. And that happens to be like 99.9% of the time. And I'm not on Facebook, so I don't really know what's going on over there. But all of a sudden, like somebody on Twitter was like, Hey, I saw you in this thing and here it is. And I was like, what? Uh, And then I got a couple of texts from friends back home over the weekend. And they're like, You're on Facebook like everywhere, and I was like, "Wait, what?" I had no idea. I really didn't, Um, because I just didn't. Because I saw a very similar quote being used all over Twitter and on the ads on TV. So I was like, "Oh, well, obviously they just went with that one." I had no idea, so I was I was very surprised. Um, But yeah, I absolutely love Face the Music. Um, I'm so glad we can actually get into spoilers soon because I've been dying to get into some of the, the nitty gritty of the movie. Um, but admittedly, as somebody who has lived with these characters and with this world, you know, ever since 1989, um, I, I was in it for Bill and Ted, obviously. Um, and I came away absolutely loving Billy and Thea, uh, which I wasn't expecting as much because I was kind of like, oh, okay, we to have to do something about their daughters. <laughs> um, and ended up just totally loving them at the end. Um, and I will admit, I don't know if it's because I'm a big softy. I don't know if because the world is so terrible right now. But both times that I've seen it, I cried at the end. And I don't know that I was expecting that. Um, but it's just it's it's such a good natured movie. Um, and it's so rare to find movies like this where like, you really can watch it with your family. Um, you know, but they still carry over the, the dickweed tradition, which I was happy Um, But that's literally the extent of I think the the language in the entire movie is like there's a couple dickweeds in there and a couple dicks and you're that's it. Um, You know, so I I just, it just filled me with like so much happiness. And it just made me like, I just was like, I don't remember the last time I felt this good after watching a movie. Um, And I was really fortunate. I watched a screener of it because I had to do a couple interviews. But then this past week. Out here in Los Angeles, they actually did a double feature through Beyond Fest where they did the original Bill and Ted and then showed Face the Music. Um, And it was great. Like, it still played really, really fun the second time around. I still cried the second time. Um, It was just really nice to sort of be surrounded by, like, 250 cars of people who were just all, like, enjoying it. Because I could hear some guy in, like, a couple cars down from us who was, like, laughing really loud And that for me, like made me enjoy it more because I heard other people enjoying it. Um, And just seeing how everybody's responded to it for the most part on Twitter over the last few days, like it it just felt like this was exactly what we all kind of needed right now. Um, So I'm grateful for that.
0: Right on. All right. Um, Adam, I also kind of know how you feel about it. So I'll let you go
2: next. Uh, So, yeah, I, I grew up with the first two movies. I remember seeing the first one when I was seven at, like, the Dollar Theater. And it was it was just, like, a perfect movie for, you know, somebody who's seven years old and just kind of getting into teen comedies and things like that. And um, I, I loved it. And then Bogus Journeys was another movie that I loved when I saw it in theaters. And it's only gotten better since... I think like the really key viewing of it was when we watched it for F this movie fest at one time. Yeah. And I just kind of was like, well, this is one of the best like comedy sequels, certainly. And maybe just one of the best sequels. (laughs) It it was just such a a creative inventive movie. And I like when I rewatched excellent adventure and bogus journey leading up to face the music, like, This was the first time that Bogus Journey, like, made me tear up at the end, (laughs) and I think that that reaction was, like, how a lot of people were feeling with Face the Music, and I, I feel real, like, such a downer for saying this, but I think Face the Music is pretty bad, and I was really disappointed in it.
0: All right. Um, So we have two completely opposite ends of the spectrum. This is going to be a fascinating discussion. I'm probably somewhere in between you guys. I liked it. I don't think as much as Heather. Um, There was stuff that I felt maybe disappointed by, but again, not as much as you, Adam. So I liked it overall. And I think, honestly, so much of that does have to do with what we're living through right now. This movie felt like such a sort of breath of fresh air because it is so sincere and so positive. And the last 15 minutes in particular, Heather, you kind of already alluded to, but like they are very emotional and very kind of inspiring and wonderful. And that's my favorite stuff in the movie, I would say. Um, So that definitely won me over. There was other stuff that didn't work for me as well. I don't think it helped that I watched it... um, I didn't rewatch Excellent Adventure, but I did rewatch Bogus Journey, and Bogus Journey is like so amazing, and I think I was looking for this to top Bogus Journey, and it I it didn't for me. Um, I do definitely need to watch it again. I meant to watch it a second time before this podcast because I really wanted to cement sort of how I feel about it. Because again, and I've said this a million times on this podcast, so I apologize to those of you who've heard me say it, but like, sometimes you have to watch a movie for what it is and not the movie that you hope it's going to be. And I think I definitely was watching it this first time, hoping it was going to be one thing. And it's not quite that thing. Um, And so now I need to watch it through those eyes, understanding what it is, um, what it does, how it works. And not like looking for it to be better than this other movie, right? Which isn't fair. Um, I would say, as far as like these kind of legacy sequels or like these sequels that come out way after the fact, I liked this one better than most of those. You know, I feel like it justifies its existence, its reason for being. I was happy to see these characters come back. I was happy to be spending time with them again. I felt good the whole time I was watching it. Uh, which is something I haven't felt a lot, you know, during the last several months, particularly the last few weeks with a lot of the stuff that's going on politically and uh, the stuff in Kenosha. And, you know, this was before the news of, of Chadwick Boseman, but uh, it's just been a rough time for everyone. And so this was like a nice little respite from that. Um Having said all that, let's go ahead and get into spoilers. If you haven't yet seen Bill and Ted Face the Music, it is playing limited theatrically. It's playing at some drive-ins, and it's available on Vimeo, or not Vimeo, Vudu or Amazon, uh, to rent or to own. So it's very accessible. Uh, At least two of us recommend seeing it. (laughs) I've seen it
2: twice, even though I don't like it. Oh, okay.
0: So, good. You definitely did your homework. Um, So... Check it out, please. And uh, if you have seen it, go ahead and continue listening. Um, Adam, what was it that you were not crazy about?
2: So, okay, like I want to I want to say first that I it's a weird thing for me, especially with this movie, because I agree with I I almost agree with like how the movie makes people feel like I, I like when I hear that it made people feel, you know, happy in a time when like, you know, it's difficult to feel happy and it's an escape and like everybody's, you know, really trying in the movie and it's sincere and everything like that. Like I can't, I, I'm not like debating any of that. It's just kind of like, it just didn't work for me. It's a really weird feeling. Cause like I can rationalize, what is positive about it and i can say like okay you know this is a movie where like everybody is nice and well-intentioned but just for some reason when i'm watching it there's things in it that are just so obviously not working for me that like i could never let it in i could never like believe in it like most people could so I think what didn't work for me was just like right out of the gate I thought the movie had like really low energy and I thought that like some of the opening scenes took like way too long and that kind of just carried over for most of the movie especially in the first hour I was just like this is just like really flat compared to the first two movies and then I started to think like well what is it about it that's making it flat and I was just like okay well it's And it's more like filmmaking stuff. It wasn't even like, and I I was just like at a distance from the story almost because it was like, okay, they're shooting these things in these like plain, like really kind of, you know, empty rooms. And then like, there's no music really. Like in the music, it's, it's like kind of very basic scoring. Whereas in the first two movies, there was like a soundtrack that kind of like gave the movie a forward momentum to it. And for a movie called Face the Music that was about so much music, I was just like, this movie's just like flatlined. Like, there's no energy to it at all. And I understand the actors are older and everything, but I mean, like, The Irishman has like a bunch of old actors, and like, that movie doesn't, <laughs> that movie has energy. So, like, I don't, I don't know. I feel bad. I feel like my heart sank when I watched this movie and I would do, I was doing the show because I don't want to dump on a movie that a lot of people really like, but I, I have to be honest with, just kind
0: of how I felt in the experience M- a movie you'd rather see Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter in the Irishman or Pacino and De Niro in Bill and Ted face the music Ty. <laughs> <laughs> um I I do think some of the filmmaking is kind of flat and I, I think that's a good word for it and that was part of my initial disappointment because I'm such a Galaxy Quest fan And I think Dean Parasat made one of the few good special effects comedies ever. Um, That's a really hard genre to kind of nail down. And you could count them probably on one hand, the ones that really work. And Galaxy Quest is certainly one of them. And so for this movie to feel kind of flat and sometimes to me a little bit cheap... Um, I was surprised to see that it had a budget of $25 million, which isn't a ton of money in 2020 dollars, I know, especially when you're working with movie stars like Keanu Reeves. Um, but I did think it just, it didn't have enough of a vision, and that's, again, I think something that's I'm carrying over from Bogus Journey, because that movie has so much vision, right? It has all these ideas about hell and the afterlife, and... Uh, people as ghosts and there, there's nothing as quite as funny in this movie as just the one scene of them falling in the endless hole in bogus journey, right? Like it's just set piece after set piece in that movie. And this movie isn't quite structured that way and it's not shot that way. And so that's going to take some getting used to for me.
1: Yeah. I, so I, I would definitely say that the latter half of the movie is stronger than the first half, but I will tell you the, wedding scene like the first time we watched it, i had to pause it because we were laughing so hard <laughs> i don't know why the idea of deacon marrying missy
0: it's a great was hilarious today, no, but- that was really hilarious yeah.
1: i totally was not expecting that like i just knew they were playing a wedding so i assumed like maybe like you know obviously things hadn't been going well for wild stallions and so they were just playing weddings and then all of a sudden i was like wait what um and god bless them they they got um oh Gosh, I can't believe I'm I'm, uh, Amy Stotch back to play Missy again, which I thought was really fun. Uh, And they have Beck Bennett playing Deacon, which I was like, that was kind of perfect casting, I think, too. Um, Missy made me
2: laugh so hard in Bogus Journey when, I didn't remember this joke, but when they're doing the seance and she's like, I would like to contact Ty Cobb. That made me laugh (laughs) so hard.
0: (laughs) Well, especially coming right off of Clark Gable, which is one of the five best line deliveries of all time.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: But yeah. But and yeah. I would like to t- contact Ty cop.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally don't dis disagree with it. You know, feeling a little flat in the beginning. Um, but I think for me, it's, it really is a movie about failure. You know, it's, it's about these guys who were told when they were younger, which, you know, I think is something we're all kind of aware of. Like we grow up and we're told that we're meant to do great things. Right. Like that's what we learn in school. That's what we're told. Um, and how do you feel when you hit a certain age and you realize, I haven't done any of these things? And it's, it's not a particularly, quote unquote, hilarious thing to contemplate in your life. Um, so I don't think it was necessarily supposed to be as hilarious because these are two guys who have sort of settled into their lives. Um, you know, the music actually, you know, hasn't been working for them for so long. You know, their marriages are are in a rough spot. And they're sort of having to confront, you know, sort of these ugly truths. And I think for me, that's what I appreciated about it, because it felt real. Like, I, I love the hyper-realism of, of Bogus Journey. I love sort of the goofiness, obviously, of Excellent Adventure. But I think maybe because I'm older now, I really related to where Bill and Ted were now. Um, because it felt really kind of rooted in reality. Maybe a lot of people weren't looking for reality in the movie, and I get that, so that's fine. Um, but I think for me, what it, what what really works so great about this movie is that it takes things that we love from the first two movies and does them in a different way. Because the first movie is about, you know, Bill and Ted time traveling. So in this one, it's not Bill and Ted time traveling, it's Thea and Billy time traveling. Um, and instead of going into historical figures, they're going and getting musicians, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, and then I, w- you know, what is some of the best parts of you know bogus journey it's bill and ted dealing with evil bill and ted so i kind of like the fact that in this movie it's them sort of dealing with their versions of themselves in the future who are dicks like they're they're you know they're assholes yeah um and it's i thought that was
2: funny too yeah Yeah. like it's it it was kind of a clever twist that it's just their future selves being mad at their past selves for like not taking active steps to avoid becoming who they are right exactly yeah i thought that was really clever
1: yeah, and it was funny because – oh, I'm
2: sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, the thing that's so frustrating for me just about my experience with the movie is everything you're saying about failure and, like, about the themes and everything, I can logically say to myself, yeah, it's really interesting what they did there. But then when I watch the movie, I'm just like, why isn't this working for me at all? Like, except on, like, a kind of intellectual level, which isn't, like – what the full Bill and Ted experience. Like I want to enjoy it and have fun with it. And that's kind of like why I'm so, I mean like, and I'm old enough to not, you know, like be like howdy about, you know, being the one guy out in the rain while everybody's inside of the house party. But like, it really feels like that. I'm just kind of like, all right, well I wasn't invited to this party, but that's okay.
0: I do appreciate that. It's not just this sort of nostalgia laden, um, retread retread yeah or just like uh, patting themselves on the back like aren't we awesome and remember this joke and remember this joke i mean there's a little bit of that again but they build on the jokes like having missy marrying deacon is a funny way to close out you know rule of threes um to close out that joke but and they don't do a ton of it uh they actually bother to be about something you know this is almost like the before sunset of the bill and ted movies where it's like they they do actually want to be about something instead of just hey remember bill and ted wasn't that awesome i do have to call bullshit on the fact though that they they bring back amy stotch they bring back uh ted's dad yeah, and yet <laughs> they recast the princesses with actresses 10 to 20 years younger than the two leads. And I just no, can't I for it. the life of me figure out why they would do that. And I know they recast them from Bogus, from Excellent Adventure to Bogus Journey. So it's not the first time that that's happened. But bring back one of those pairs of actresses, particularly Diane Franklin and whoever played the uh, the other princess in the original film. Because, again, it, it's... A little bit of fan service goes a long way, you know, and I think that that would have been the right kind of fan service. I think the movie avoids being purely fan service, which I appreciate. Adam, I completely agree with you on the lack of a soundtrack. Um, I miss that kind of like rock and roll spirit of the original two movies. Uh, by having songs okay. on the soundtrack, you know? This has a Weezer song over the end credits. It's like, Weezer yeah. is not a band that Bill and Ted are
2: into. <laughs> well, or at least, that. like, Pep, just like Pepper I know, Bill and, and like Ted. the end credits songs into the movie somehow. Like, yeah. you could play them again.
1: But I, I think the, the important thing here, and I think, again, I think is what shows it grow. it's sort of grown, it's not just about rock music, and I think that's what I really liked about it.
0: Oh, for sure. I, um, I know what you're saying in because terms of the...
1: Well, no, because, like, the first two movies, like, don't get me wrong, the soundtracks are amazing, and, you know, it's very much about rock music, but I think it's also important to, you know, sort of appreciate that there is a lot more to music yeah. than just, yeah. you know, the, the things that we saw in the first two movies, and I like the way that this movie really sort of opens it up, especially in the end, because, you know, in a way, it, it, you know, tips his hat to classical music, it tips his hat. You know, to, yep. you know, music of of the 1920s. And, yep. you know, you have Jimi Hendrix in there and, and just, you know, and you also, you know, you have electronic music in there, too, which everybody likes to sort of poo-poo at, um, <laughs> which is definitely not annoying for me. Um, you know, so I, I like the fact that it sort of opened up. I mean, I, I wish there had been more songs through it. I know there is a really kick-ass soundtrack for it because Mastodon's on it uh, and a couple other bands. Well, what the hell? Um, you know. Yeah, um, but I, I was trying to find really quick because I actually had um, done photos from the soundtrack on my phone when I was trying to write about it, and I don't know where the heck it went. And I was trying to find it very quickly, and I'm not. So that's a failure on my part. <laughs> um, but there's also another band that's on the end credits as well, and I'm totally blanking. Um, but I, 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 you know, I like that it was just. It wasn't sort of singular because I don't feel like, and again. You know, I'm an old funny daddy, like I grew up with a lot of the music that was in the first two movies, but that's not really where contemporary music is today, which is sad. And I know and it's terrible, you know, but, you know, if you're trying to make a movie that's going to, you know, cater to us older people who grew up like with God, you know, gave rock and roll to you, but also you want to have kids watching this who are going to, you know, for some kids, this might be their first Bill and Ted movie. You know, you want to kind of broaden it a little bit. In certain ways?
0: I still think, and again, I'm talking about more just an overall spirit. I don't necessarily mean like these specific songs. They should have Winger on the soundtrack and stuff like they did in Bogus Journey. But I still think there's nothing
1: wrong with Winger. No, of
0: course not. You could still have Bill and Ted being into kind of their metal music and then have Thea and Billy be the ones who are exactly what you're talking about, Heather, where it's like we're Mm. of a different generation. We're of a generation that has our horizons expanded that are going to pull a little bit from all of these different types of music because that's ultimately what they end up doing. Um, This is just a a nitpick. No,
1: no, but I I was going to say, it's sort of against it though, you know, a lot of their musical, you know, experience and knowledge came from their dads, which means over the years, Bill and Ted themselves have sort of opened themselves up to it. Do you know what I mean? Because when they were talking to them in the garage, they were like, you know, there was like sort of that back and forth between them. Um, which obviously shows that, you know, things have sort of brought in for Bill and Ted. So when you were like, well, Bill and Ted wouldn't listen to Weezer, and I'm like, yeah, but I don't know that they wouldn't, to be honest.
0: Nobody listens to Weezer anymore.
2: I don't even mind, like, you know, from a thematic level about, like, you know, it wouldn't be appropriate for, like, them to just be, you know, doing hair metal or, like, early grunge and things like that. It's just from, like, there's no, like musicality to the scenes. Like, there, it just seems, like, even in the transitions, it's just, yeah, like, you're watching the Even Stevens movie. It's like, <laughs> what? Like, there's just, it's a it's weird comparison. Like, it's just, it feels like a Disney Channel, like, series finale movie music. <laughs> it's just like, there's no <laughs> momentum to any of this. So that's why I feel like, and this is just my opinion, I feel like so many scenes in the first hour just stop start cold there's just no nothing like snappy to it
0: i will say and this could be the last we say about the music or or we can continue to talk about it i do appreciate that i do think that they kind of and and people who are way more into music than me may vehemently disagree i think the last song that they play the thing that it's all building towards the actual face the music is pretty kick-ass and i think if you blow that you've really fucked up and we've seen that before where stuff is built up like this is the greatest short story ever written and then the character reads it and it's total horseshit. or or they do something even worse and they cut away before the person reads the story so that they don't have to actually show you the story um they build up this piece of music over the course of you know the entire movie and if they blew it uh, the movie wouldn't land as much as it does and i do think that they wrote a pretty cool piece of music and the way that everything comes together is really neat yeah the Long- yeah. only
1: the only last thing i'll say about music is that i think the cameo uh is one of the greatest things ever um because i was sitting when, they're, when the they're, they when they in the to, yes yeah. uh because when they were sitting in there in the house and they were talking to the british Bill and ted uh, which again made me laugh hysterically um you know because they summer now in 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 the uk um and i was sitting there and i was trying to think about like okay if i was trying to figure out like what is what is the song what is the song that we'd unite people and i was trying to think of like contemporary rock songs and i was like what would be that song and the first one that popped into my head was everlong which is like one of my all-time favorite songs ever like if it comes on my spotify and we're driving i make brian shut up because i'm like don't talk during everlong that's just my rule um, and then, I, so that was like in the back of my head was like, you know, listening to music and like, Oh, this is amazing. And I was like, well, what would that song be like in reality? And I was like, well, ever long. And then no shit, a minute and a half later, Dave Girls at the door. And nice. I was, like, I was yeah. like, no way. And I was so excited. Um, and I, I really love that scene too. Um, but yeah, again, I just, you know, I was like, I was trying to think about like in what, in reality terms, like what would be that song? Um, so I'm curious if, if other people have like that song yeah. where like, but I, you know, for me, Everlong was kind of it is where I landed. So I no, was. I
0: uh, this is not a complaint at all, because again, I understand why they went the way they did. And I appreciate the direction that they went in terms of collecting all the different genres of music and from different historical periods and stuff. Um, but there was part of me when they, when Jimi Hendrix is the first person they grab, that was like, oh, are they going to grab a bunch of kick-ass like, rock and roll musicians and we're going to see a super group at the end of this movie? And who else are they going to grab? And I was, I thought for sure one of them was going to be Jim Martin from Faith No More. Uh, and it didn't happen, sadly. But um, I would have gladly welcomed... We had
1: welcomed... Faith No More in part two. Though, I know. Right? That's
0: why I hoped that they were going to grab Jim Martin. Um, but again, yeah, I I, I,
2: that... I'm fine with the way that they went. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I, I agree with you both that I appreciated that their tactic wasn't the song is the greatest song that you've ever heard, but it was more about like getting everybody involved in playing music. Yeah. And that's kind of what brings everyone together because I'm not a musician, but like I was at an assembly once in high school and a (laughs) Creole band was there and it was sort of like they were just jamming and then they invited students on stage and then gave them random instruments and I went on stage and I played like a wooden fish. And let me tell you, like I've never been happier <laughs> than like when I was playing a wooden fish in a, band, in a Creole band and they were telling me to like scream out De La Troie. And I was like, this is one of the greatest things in the history of the world. So like when they show like, you know, their time trap or their um, they're going through the infinite and then they're like giving everybody instruments and everything like that. I'm like, that makes total sense. It's like, when you're up there and, like, anywhere and playing music or performing, it's intoxicating and it's so much fun, even if it's not, like, the greatest thing that you're doing. But I thought that was really smart. Yeah. That... yeah it
1: was... Oh, sorry, go ahead, Patrick.
2: No, go ahead, Heather.
1: Oh, I was, well, I was in... Um, I was trying to think of... It, it sort of reminded me of... I'm trying to remember... Oh, God. There was, like... This big band that played on Scrubs. Uh, the, the Polyphonic Spree. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it sort of reminded me, like, everybody just sort of joined the Polyphonic Spree <laughs> at the end of Face the Music. where we're like, everybody's just kind of there and they're playing their tambourines and everything. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just I it just was a really lovely moment. And I think it speaks to sort of, you know, I think for the fact that everything feels so divided And I'm not even just saying politically, but we're all divided right now. Like, you know, I haven't seen you guys in over a year. Like, that sucks. Yeah. I haven't seen most people other than my, you know, than Brian for like for months and months and months, because that's the world we live in right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think when just to have something that unifies us. And again, I'm not talking even politically. I'm just talking about like that human experience. Like for me, like that's what it was made that so special was like everybody just kind of came together and I just, you know, and I think maybe that's what makes me sad about, you know, everything that's going on today, because I'm like, I don't know. Under what are, what other kind of circumstances would we all just come together, which is pretty, yeah. you know, awful.
2: The funny thing with the ending is like, so the last act I think is good. Like I, I liked the last act, like ever since they, they get, to, when they get to hell and then on, I really enjoyed the movie. Um, but I thought that it was weird. Cause. I had this reaction like you you both did where it was like, oh, they really like, you know, did a nice thing with the ending with the song and everybody's playing together. And then they immediately go to the end credits. And it's like this video montage of just kind of normal Bill and Ted fans like jamming out. And my immediate reaction was just like, who the hell are these?
1: people?" (laughs) Well, here's the thing, though. I don't know if you know this, but like uh, most of the people that were in the audience for the big performance at the end were all people like locals and people who came out. To watch the performance live?
2: No, we I did, didn't mean. Yeah, but like you know what I mean, no, like in a, the end know, credits it's a, where it's like yeah, the video. No, it's, but it's, yeah.
1: but it's, it's, a lot of the movie is fan based because like that scene yeah. is fans. Like we actually almost went to go be in and face the music I'm and then cool. check it out.
0: One of those people is Weird Al. Is it? Yeah, in the in the in the end credits, the the little montage of all the different oh, people. Oh yeah, I
1: thought you meant like in the crowd. No, no, where no, they're no, actually playing no. The songs. in the yeah, montage. They actually, they they wanted to give back to the fans because the only reason that they're here is because of the fan yeah. demand for so long. But they did a thing where they did a call um, for them to perform here in Los Angeles. And you could like sign up to go and you had to be there from like 12 to 4 one day. And I honestly just chickened out because I'm a dummy. Um, but now I wish I hadn't because that would have been awesome. So, you know, I'm a little bummed that I kind of like wussed out on that because that would have been kind of cool. But I'm weird and my brain is weird sometimes. But I was like, they don't want some fat 42-year-old lady in their movie. So I just didn't go.
0: We have gone over an hour and not talked about the single greatest part of this movie. Dennis Caleb McCoy.
1: Of course.
2: <laughs> Who I thought. I don't
1: watch Barry, so I don't know him as No Ho Hank, but Dennis is like, Dennis Caleb McCoy is the best.
2: Yeah. Oh, I, I thought he was like the Jardar Binks of this movie. Oh, for
0: real? I thought yeah, he was so It didn't funny. work for me at all. Oh, I thought
2: You're he was the
1: Jardar so... Binks of this episode. <laughs> Just calm down.
2: I know that. I already said it at the top. You can't use my words against me. <laughs> Twenty-four
0: to twenty-six on the ACT. Tales from the Hood Guy and Jar Jar Binks. Adam Risky. Um, I, oh, thought, I thought he, he like I thought he was the death of this movie. I thought the way that death kind he of stole is. the movie. Oh, in, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. I meant the William Sadler <laughs> yeah. as death of this movie, the Grim Reaper. How's that? Um. Cool the way that, that death kind of stole bogus journey. I thought Dennis Caleb McCoy kind of stole face the music.
1: No, I totally agree. Uh, and I think it's, he, he has a lot of really fun sort of subtle moments in the movie. Yeah. Um, too, which is like, you, I almost think I, I enjoyed him better the second time because I could really pick up on some of those, those lines that kind of slip past you. Um, but I loved him. I really did. Um, and I also wanted. I, I know I, I haven't really been able to talk about that. Like beyond here, Um, but I also really loved that, um, Rufus's daughter, um, in real life, um, oh God, George Carlin's daughter is named Kelly. Yeah. So I love the fact that they made Rufus's daughter in this movie, Kelly as well. I I thought that was really sweet. And I love the fact that like, he's based on her ex-boyfriend, which is just really funny. And let's put Christian (laughs) Shaw on everything, please. Thank you. And very much.
0: I was a little nervous early on and it, it ended up not being a problem, but, Early on, everyone who shows up is somebody. So we get Beck Bennett as Deacon and we get Kristen Shaw as Kelly and we get um, who's the other big cameo early on. I mean, yeah, Holland Taylor, Jillian Bell shows up as the psychiatrist. Even Aaron Hayes and Jayma Mays are both, you know, name actresses as the princesses. And I was a little worried that it was going to be like that. um, I'm trying to think of what else did it it was like uh maybe like that wet hot american summer sequel show on Netflix where it was like every single famous person wants to be on this show or like arrested development when they brought that back um that it's just so loaded with cameos that you're pulled out of the movie every few minutes cuz you're like oh and here's so and so who wanted to come participate Again, it's kind of front-loaded with that, and then it stops being an issue because most of them are playing characters and not just doing cameo appearances. I guess Jillian Bell is really the only – and she's funny. Her scene is funny, but she's really the only one who's like, and here's this cameo from Jillian Bell. Um, Early on, I was nervous about it, but it uh, it ended up being totally fine.
1: Dude, when Jillian Bell's like, no, and she starts running away, (laughs) I was like (laughs) – I just laughed really. I I I love that moment because again, it was like a really good sort of subtle comedy. It wasn't broad comedy, Um, but I just like her. She's like she's you can just see her processing it. She's like nope, nope, (laughs) and she just kind of (laughs) runs. So I would have liked to see how the rest of her day had went uh, after running into was that George Washington that was in her office? I believe so. yeah. Yeah. So I will say the my. And I can't even believe I'm saying this because I am such a fan of his. I actually think the the only person I feel like is like really miscast in this movie is Kid Cudi.
0: I don't and know I, him at I know all. Do. Yeah, I, I don't know Kid Cudi at all. So
1: I do because I've, I've actually seen him in concert a few times. Um, he is basically somebody who kind of came up um, in, in the the hip hop scene. I want to say yeah. like he did a lot of stuff with. Um, sorry, uh like under Kanye for a long time. And he was kind of one of Kanye's protégés that kind of broke out. Um, kind of like John Legend was sort of under Kanye for a while. And then, cause I think he was on good music for a while. Um, and so I'm a really big fan of Kid Cudi.
2: Um, Isn't he like mostly like stoner rap or am I thinking of that wrong? You're thinking of yes, Afro man.
1: <laughs> no, 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 he he is kind of stoner rap. Uh he is, yeah. he is, but he has a really good song called like, Pursuit of Happiness." That's really, really that's a good. great song. Yeah. yeah, I listen actually when I travel, I listen to a lot of Kid Cudi because it just kind of mellows me out and kind of just centers me a little bit. Um But I had, you know, I, I I've you know I've been a big fan of his for god like ten years now, I think. Um And I just don't know that like I don't know if it was like the way his character was written, or if he was just nervous, but like. It just it, there was like a, such a disconnect between the what he was saying and how he was saying it, where I was just I felt kind of awkward for him. Um, yeah. And then I was like, well, who would I have believed in that role? And I was like, oh man, you know, if we're gonna stay with like rappers, like if Andre Three Thousand yeah. came up to me and was like telling me how like time travel works and like propulsion methods and all that, I was like, I would believe it because <laughs> I don't know if there's like a difference because he's also acted so. I don't know. And but he's I legitimately
0: mean, from the future.
1: That's true. He is, because he is. He's Andre 3000. Um, so, yeah, I was a little, I felt bad for him. I mean, I was glad he was involved because I thought that was kind of nice, but I don't know that he was one of the stronger aspects of the movie.
2: I don't know. I was, I, I thought like with all the characters that time traveled with them, all the musicians, they didn't give him enough to do like I thought the intros for a lot of them were really great like especially the actor playing Louis Armstrong was really funny and like I thought he was giving like a really fun take on Louis Armstrong but then like they just didn't give him and I thought Kid Cudi was part of this too it was just like and then what they just kind of like you know just brought him with and it wasn't giving them any characterization after that.
1: Um, well, uh, just one quick thing, um, about the, 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 the musicians in the movie, they're actually played by all, mu- like all by musicians, which is kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. So like, I know, um, Jeremiah Kraft, who plays Louis Armstrong in the movie, like he does act, but he's also like an accomplished musician as well. Um, so they wanted to get like real music people to play these characters, which again, I kind of appreciate, um, you know, it's not like getting a, a, a psychiatrist to play cig- fruit fruid uh, in the first movie or anything like that. So. But no, I agree. They kind of sort of didn't do a lot with them. But again, we've already seen that movie. So I was okay because their functionality sort of fit in at the end. But I, I get it. It's 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 a valid point.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that B story is maybe a little too close of a retread of the original film. Um, and I as much as I enjoy the two actors playing Billy and Thea. um, I don't know that they were doing enough, like different to really establish it as, as being anything different from the first movie. This makes more sense in my head. So if the story is going to be kind of the same as Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, what needs to be different is the people taking us through that story and both actors are kind of doing impressions of Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves from the first movie. Not not exactly, but r- kind of riffing on that. Um, and so it just... The whole thing felt a little too too much of what I've already seen for me.
2: Yeah, I, I kind of had a similar... Like, I love Samara Weaving. I mean, like, how can you not? She's great in everything. Um, so I enjoyed performance just because I like the actor but um the actress playing uh Ted's daughter I couldn't get past the impression and I that was just distracting to me like that whole B story like it was a great impression but it was it never like really kind of went above impression for me
0: and they're not like it's not it's not a mutt situation, right? It's not necessarily like oh gosh, this whole next generation subplot is the worst. Because um, I'm still willing to go along with it, and I still was having fun with them. Um, it just their their kind of storyline just felt like kind of a retread for me. But Heather, I, I know, know you were you were I a felt... much yeah you were a much bigger fan. I know because you said you were ready for them to have their own movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't expecting to enjoy them as much as I did. Um, and I think, especially in the Jimi Hendrix sequences, um, when they're trying to, like, get him to sort of join, and the, just, like, they're just very earnest, you know, fandom yeah. around these characters. Um, I just thought was really sweet. Um, I do think they're, you know, I mean, but the the thing is, like, they were sort of written to riff on Bill and Ted. Yeah, for sure. You know? So yeah,
2: yeah, I'm not blaming like the performers. They're no. doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's it's just kind of I don't know. It, it it was it it just felt too much like a SNL skit with like trying to get the characterization down, and that was the important thing and it wasn't so much like what they had to do.
0: And I I really like how well it established like how much they know their shit when it comes to music. Because with Bill and Ted, you always got the impression that like they like what they like and they're way into what they like, right? Um, but that these, that these girls are sort of a, a fountain of information when it comes to all kinds of music. And I thought they set that up very well, even before they start traveling through time collecting famous musicians and stuff like that. I thought that was really well done.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I really like how everything sort of culminates around them in the end um, where it really does, you know, it doesn't, Bill and Ted are still integral, but I I like the fact that while they're sort of holding the fort down in the present, I liked that for the first time ever. We see Bill and Ted get to go off and time travel with Elizabeth and Joanna, which we've never seen them do before. Um, And I think for me, that was like a real turning point um, where it didn't make the princesses feel secondary anymore. Um, I do. I wish we had gotten more of their travel through the movie, but I think, again, that would have just diverted the focus into another direction that I don't think we needed right, to go.
0: Right. Um, that I, that story I, didn't... That seemed like false stakes a little bit to me, the whole thing about, like they're going to travel through time with older versions of them and they're going to decide to leave us. Like I know we needed to put their relationship in jeopardy, but I didn't, I wasn't crazy about the way that they did it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I get it. Um, but I mean, I, I also like the fact that they actually felt like characters this time.
0: Sure. Cause I kind right, of feel like right. in other
1: movies, they just really haven't. Right.
0: Girlfriends and backup know, musicians.
1: Yeah. You know? Um, so they, they actually had a little bit of agency to them. Yeah. Um, But, again, I think, you know, it's one of those, like, had we gone and seen what they were really doing and seen what they, you know, what they were thinking and all that kind of stuff, like, that sort of, again, would have sort of splintered the focus off even more so. Um, And how do you wrangle all of that back into a 90-minute movie? Um, It's pretty hard. Um, But, again, I just, I like the fact that in the end, you know, for the first time ever, we see them, you know, Bill and Ted get into a phone booth with their wives and go on a a time-traveling adventure. Um, you know, which we'd never seen. So that was kind
2: of nice. Can that I talk about bad. a few things that I liked with the movie because I feel like the wettest blanket. Oh, no, not, at, not at all. all. Yeah, You're go not for at it. All. Okay, so um, I thought that Alex Winter was like the real MVP of this movie. I thought he was like really terrific and very funny, especially I think my favorite Bill and Ted bits were them as 95-year-old men. <laughs> <laughs> And I really loved, you know, like when Keanu Reeves is like middle-aged Ted is talking to elderly Ted and like I might be getting the line wrong, but it was basically like every time I looked at you, I saw myself and I'm sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was really kind of clever and sweet and everything. And then um, no, I, it was great having William Sadler back. I wish there were more of him in the movie because I think that it makes it instantly better better when he shows up like there's this run right at the beginning of the hell scenes where they Bill and Ted encounter the the hell demons, which I think are the writers.
1: It's Chris and Ed. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And they have that great joke where they're just like surprised to have a robot in hell. <laughs> yeah. And then it goes right into all the stuff with like they're reuniting and like reconciliation with the Grim Reaper and it's great. And I just, it was sad that like we didn't get him showing up until like 55 minutes into the movie yeah it, it, I was I was really just kind of bummed about that but when he's there it's it's wonderful and then oh um, uh, should we call it there was a couple other things I'm sorry
0: <laughs> real quick there's that there's one yeah. weird insert shot of the grim reaper in hell maybe when Billy oh, and when, Thea uh, first yeah. go
2: no, it's Ted's dad. Okay, fine. when
0: yeah, and it's like, why waste his first appearance on that? Like, hold it until the 55, if you're going to wait until to introduce him to the story, until the 55-minute mark, like, make his entrance mean something. I just thought it was such a weird choice to have him appear and then go away for another 30 minutes uh, and then bring him back, you know, for... Some significant dialogue scenes, and he becomes part of the story. But a part of me was just kind of puzzled by that choice to just have a shot of him and then not bring him back. Uh, I thought his first appearance could have been much stronger had they saved it. That's all. Again, a total nitpick.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. The only other thing I got is, uh, I don't hate the Weezer song. I'm sorry.
0: No, the Weezer song is, the Weezer song is fine. Listen, uh, it's personal with me and Weezer. Weezer meant more to me than any band ever uh, at a point in my life in kind of the mid to late nineties around Pinkerton. I was as big a Weezer fan as, as anyone. And to watch them give less and less of a shit over the last 20 years, I have taken very personally. Uh, and I don't really vibe with their music anymore. And it's like running into someone that you used to date and saying like, what the hell did I ever see in you? <laughs> Who was the person that loved you? Um,
1: I was all on board with that. I was about to say, well, "Oh, that's kind of like me and you too. But then you were like, but then you run into them and you're like, what the hell is it? I think? I was like, oh no, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I,
0: I, I just, I don't get it anymore. So, That's why I bag on Weezer. The song is totally fine. I'm not, you know, it's totally fine. I just, it's personal with me and Weezer.
1: All right, well. (laughs) What
0: would you guys think of Keanu? Because I felt like he, uh, I'm always going to love Keanu. And I enjoy his performance because he doesn't get to do comedy enough. And I love when he gets to do comedy He's changed so much from 1991, you know, even just the register of his voice is so much deeper. Um, He's so much, he doesn't have that kind of bouncy energy to him, that kind of floppy haired, like innocence to him anymore. There's a lot more gravitas. And some of that is because we've been watching him make John Wick movies where his soul is as heavy as anything. And he's just going around murdering people and he carries some of that baggage with him. Right. When we see him show up. Um, but I do, I, 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 really liked how easily they both fell back into these roles and knowing that they're real life friends. I love seeing them play best friends. Uh, but I, I'm curious what you guys thought of Keanu as the, uh,
1: the resident Keanu expert. Yes. Yes. You can add that to my intro next time. <laughs> All right, I will. Um, you know, I have to say, like, it was funny because like one, I don't know how I feel about Keanu without facial hair anymore. Sure. Um, I, I just, you know, I want the fuzzy face Keanu. Um, I love it. But I I'll take I'll take clean face Keanu as well. Um, but the the line when he says, I'm tired, dude, like I fucking felt that in my <laughs> soul, man. Because yeah. I was just like, dude, I'm tired too, Ted. I get it, man. I get where you're coming from. Um and I do think the best parts you know, the best parts of his performance come out of the future versions because it really feels like he got to strip away any kind of expectations when he got to be those, those versions of Ted. Um, like you can almost see it in the way that he plays it in Bogus Journey when he's evil Ted. Um, and you get to see him sort of do things that we don't normally get to see Keanu do and we don't normally expect Keanu to do. Um, so I think for me, the future versions of Keanu were, like the highlight for me. I, I mean, it's in Bill too. I, I I think Alex Winter like does some really great subtle comedy. Like I think Keanu's a little bit bigger with the stuff that he does, and I think Bill uh, Alex Winter uh, was doing some really subtle things. Um, and I just I think it complemented each other. They they sort of really complemented each other really well uh, in that way. So, but I mean, I wasn't I was I was happy to see my boys back. But yeah, I mean. Like, give me anything, Keanu, and I'm there, so it doesn't really matter. Like, he could have just stood there for 90 minutes, and i had been like, yeah, great performance, top 10, here we go. Excellent. (laughs) Uh, The Excellent Adventure,
0: when I saw that in 89, that was the movie that, like, made me first fall in love with Keanu. And then I went back and saw River's Edge and Permanent Record um, and was like, who is I saw River's Edge way
1: too young. Holy crap. I was (laughs) – I still remember it. We were visiting – my family in West Virginia and my aunt Ramona and my uncle Jean, their daughter was a teenager. So she would always rent weird things. Like she rented my tutor. I watched that when I was like really young. That's not a movie to watch when you're really young. No, it's really um, not. But I remember on one of the trips, like she rented River's Edge and there was like just something really striking about him. And the only thing I remember, like it was like I saw that. And then I saw Bill and Ted and I was like, wait, is that the guy? Yeah. And it's just like, it's like night and day mm-hmm. between them, um, which is why I always get pissed when everybody says Keanu doesn't have range. Cause I'm like, well, then you're just too. not watching the right movies. Right. And I will, I will defend that man. So my dying breath.
0: And, well, now care. you don't have to anymore. I've been defending him for fucking 30 years, but now nobody, I know. No, you don't have to cause everybody loves him. So that's I great. That I'm glad everybody, everybody loves
1: him. On my- I, i'm glad too but now i feel like they're sort of stealing my territory like right. all i mean literally i've been saying for years like how amazing point break was and everybody would look at me like that surfer movie with patrick swayze and Keanu reeves and they would give me like the face like they would give that face and, and you you're were like, like no guys, that surfer
0: movie with james legros
1: right it's james legros <laughs> but no, that's sorry. okay whatever um <laughs> but like and now everybody loves point break and i'm just like bitches where were all you yeah, guys for yeah. all these years i'm over here standing on my ground solo you know feeling like an idiot and all of a sudden now everybody loves point break so you know mm. what are you gonna i do? thought
2: keanu was i don't know like this is like i there's he's built up so much goodwill with me and i like him so much because He's in really good movies, usually, and he's always very charming. He's got tons of charisma. He's built... I I feel like this is one where he was using some of those goodwill points, and it wasn't kind of really top-shelf Keanu, which is fine. It's okay. Like, I, I don't know. I felt like Alex Winter was a little bit more kind of... I don't know, just, like, fun and, like, could work in the different characters and was kind of spirited. Whereas Keanu, like, yeah. Well, there was, was angry
1: this... in all of those. You know what I mean? Like, he was way more bitter.
2: No. Well, I, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I, I don't know. I just thought that, like, Keanu was, he seen, I felt bad for him a little bit in a way that I usually don't. I felt like there was kind of the weight of the world, <laughs> like, in his performance. And it wasn't all in the, it wasn't all the character. He just felt tired as a man to me in the movie. <laughs> tired as well, a man. Well, he said
1: he was tired, dude.
2: He has one of no, my I favorite know, lines but... in
0: the movie, which is in all the trailers where he says, "It's a little dark, but that's cool." Um, <laughs> yeah, Alex Winter feels like Bill from 1991, and Keanu yeah. feels like Ted at 50. And so that I got to watch it, it again a because more soulful though. Sure.
1: If you look at the characters, like even like going back to the original, like. You know, Ted was dealing with his dad wanting to send him away to military school. Mm. And Bill's biggest problems is that he's got an edible complex, like on a, with a stepmom. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's such a different character. You know what I mean? Like, it's Deacon's there's always been Deacon's wife. Week. Yeah. Sorry, Deacon's wife now.
0: Mrs. Deacon. Um, <laughs>
1: I do like how they sort of had to figure out that his dad was his own son now. Um because yeah. I was like trying to do the math on all of that. I was like, wow, this is You're really complicated. Own. Like we started You're drawing like a tree son. and I was like, oh Missy. I like
2: what how she think- called him freaky dee. <laughs>
1: Somebody should make a freaky dicky shirt. That should be a thing, so. But, yeah. No, I I totally get it, because it is. He just seems so sad.
2: Like, like, I want to give him a hug, because, like, hug recognizes hug. Like, I need a hug, and he needs a hug. And it was just, like, distracting to me. I don't know. Like, even his shirt seemed sad. Like, everything about him just seems so downtrodden.
1: But, I mean, again, I think that's just sort of, you know, I mean, we. We think of them in like the more exuberant moments of those movies, but there's always sort of been like a sadness to Ted in a way. Not to get too deep on two characters who, you know, time travel and went to hell, but you know, <laughs> but there's there's always been sort of a little a little bit of a different weight, you know. Mm-hmm. So, Doesn't but I, I mean, I get it. It's a different performance. It is. It's it's a much different than, much different sort of carriage than what we see from like Alex Winter, yeah. who I do think is an absolute delight.
0: Oh, absolutely! Yes. Yeah. Um, anything else about Bill and Ted face the music that you guys want to bring up?
2: No, I'm good. I apologize for for being so. No need though. to apologize.
1: You're like I'm good. Let's stop talking about this. We
2: talked about
1: shit. the movie.
0: I'm sorry that it wasn't a movie that you necessarily liked.
2: Uh, no need to apologize. That I, if I, if I couldn't handle a, that, a movie I was looking forward to is not a movie that I. Like at 38, then I'm a big loser. Sometimes. No, you're
1: not. And I, here's the thing. And I would never, like, I'm never going to tell you you're wrong because I don't think anybody's wrong when it comes to.
2: I, I agree. I'm not telling right. you two you're wrong either. I, well, I mean, I, we're
1: not, but you know. I, don't, no, I, go,
2: I, I go through my movie watching life where it's just like, if it, if it wasn't about a podcast, if it was like, you two told me, you know, you really liked Bill and Ted face the music, I would be like, oh, I'm just going to, like, I'm not the person to talk to about this then like we could talk about like other shit. And then like, yeah, I don't know. I just feel bad. Like I never want to take away or like nitpick or poke holes in anybody's happiness. Cause it's so hard to come by. So.
1: No, no. And I think, you yeah. know, and I, don't, I don't think there's anything invalid about your criticisms at all, because I do think that there's a different energy from the first part of the movie to the second part, you know, but I think for me, I just sort of appreciated that weight and then that the, the weight sort of comes off at the end because I just I guess for me, because there has been this weight on us all for like the last six months, like it just kinda gives me hope that maybe at the end of this that weight's all gonna come off for all of us. So I don't know, mm-hmm. maybe that's just my cheesy way of seeing it.
0: It's a good way to hugs see are, it.
1: Hugs are around the corner, Risky. They're coming. <laughs> I'm gonna hang in there, man.
0: I know. <sighs> <sighs> just think uh you're seeing tenant in a few days so uh in a parking lot in a parking lot the way christopher nolan intended um we
1: don't even we don't even get it in a parking lot out here so enjoy it
2: yeah no i don't know i mean like i'm looking forward to getting it on a parking lot i just didn't think it would be christopher nolan's movie <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, thank you guys very much for talking about this movie with me thank you guys all for listening as always go to fthismovie.com every day for new columns and content follow us on twitter at fthismovie we're on facebook we're on instagram you can email us at fthismoviepodcast at gmail.com and you can find us uh, in apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify wherever you listen to your favorite audio content Uh, thanks very much for listening and, and thank you adam and heather your hey lovely. Patrick,
2: oh, if Tenet had an end credit song by Eminem, kind of like the Venom song, what would it go? Like Tenet.